team. The task, uh, uh, but besides that, uh, not a lot had been happening in that church. The task of reaching the community had been difficult at best. There had been very little money, very little people, and a great deal of fear. And the culture of the culture and outside the church seemed to show very little interest in the message that this church was propagating. They were like decaffeinated coffee, somebody said. I personally don't like decaffeinated coffee. I like, uh, if I'm going to drink coffee, I want something that's going to give me a jolt. And decaffeinated coffee might be good to some people, and some folks have to drink it because of uh, health reasons or trying to sleep in the evenings. Uh, Though I really don't personally like it at all. Decaffeinated coffee won't wake you up, it won't perk you up, it won't keep you up, and it won't uh, get you up. It's just there. It looks like coffee. It smells like coffee. It tastes somewhat like coffee. It just doesn't seem to do inside of you what coffee really ought to do. It's a coffee substitute. And I agree with that. Amen? Uh, This is a familiar account of many local churches in our time and throughout church history. Decaffeinated. Without power. Without really a lot of hope just kind of holding together, holding it together, keeping the doors of the church open. But in this case, in Acts 2, it records that this church, the one and only church in existence at this time, suffered from all of these circumstances that we have just talked about. The members of this first church of Jerusalem had believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They had been baptized uh, unto repentance of their sins. And they had their names written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, identifying them as His. In other words, when they died, they were going to go to heaven because they had faith in Christ as Savior. They had a home prepared for them in the mansions of heaven that Jesus promised them in John 14. And they had that personal relationship with Christ. And in this case, in the first century, not just a personal relationship with Christ as we talk about it in the 21st century, which we do have, but they had a personal, in the flesh, in-person, face-to-face relationship with him before he was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and ascended to heaven. But the one thing they did not have at this point was they did not have the full power and anointing of the Holy Spirit that the baptism in the Holy Spirit brings, that God the Father promised through Jesus Christ. And I can tell you from experience, and I can tell you from observation and just common sense, that the church of Jesus Christ, local churches, people in those churches, need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses in our day. We live in a day that has backslidden away from the truth of God. We live in a day and age which is unprecedented in its apostasy as many mainline denominations have backslidden away from the truth of the inerrancy of Scripture. That they kind of make it up as they go along. They are those who stick their finger in their mouth and hold it up to the wind to see which way the wind of culture is blowing so that they can be popular, try to be popular and please the people, most of the people. I can tell you one thing from experience and from biblical truth is that it is impossible to please men. We must please God. We must obey God's Word. We must hold fast to the truths of God's Word, to the teaching of God's Word. 
whether it's popular or not in our day, even if it becomes outlawed as it is fastly becoming even in our culture today. With the hate crimes legislation that has passed many years ago, it leaves it open to bureaucrats and uh, local law enforcement people and prosecutors to determine what a hate crime really is. And if you stand and you avow and you uh, proclaim the Word of God, the moral teachings of the Word of God, that uh, sex was created and given as a gift to people who were married in a covenant relationship, a man and a woman, and it's, it is a gift to them in the covenant of that marriage and the relationship of that marriage. But outside of that, uh, many, many terms used, some uh, not so nice, but when people cohabitate and have sex outside of marriage, that violates God's law. Now, it doesn't matter, really. It does not matter at all how many people are doing it in the church. They'll have to stand before and accountable to a holy God. The Word of God also, and you may be called a hater and eventually jailed for it. The church may be prosecuted for it, sued for it, is that perversion. We call it perversion because it's a perversion away from the reality, the truth that God intended, is that He created us, and I'm glad I'm a man, and He created women. And when we say that, listen, I think I'm a woman, and you stand, if I stood here as your pastor and said, hey, I identify I was a woman, I've really got a woman in here, you know, there's some churches would stand and cheer, some mainline denominations. Okay? But listen, heaven isn't cheering. And what that really is, when, when we reject who God created us to be, you're rejecting the Creator. You're rejecting His design and His plan for your life. And you're slapping and running His face and shaking a fist in His face that I will be who I want to be. You have nothing to say about it. Now, you can get away with it here because we have free choice, but one day you'll stand before holy God, and you'll give an account. And I'm telling you today that for this reason, and I could go on and on about the culture, is it doesn't really matter what the culture believes or does or says. It does not even matter what the Supreme Court of the United States rules on. God's Word is absolute truth, and it is absolutely true. And we stand on God's Word, and it's going to take courage and backbone for the remnant, for the people of God, to take your stand in a loving way, speaking the truth in love, and saying, I stand on this word like Martin Luther, I can do no other. There is no other God that has the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins except Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, we need Pentecost, we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in this day and age in America more than we have ever needed it before ever before. When I was a young 18-year-old, I was backslidden away from God, turned my back on Him from uh, the age when I was 14 and about three years I served myself and did everything I knew God hated, knew everything that God didn't approve of. One thing I didn't do as I came close to it was going on drugs, but I was on plenty of other stuff. And when I believed the lie that the enemy said, God hates you, doesn't want you back, that was from straight from hell. And I, that lie was dispelled by my sister who spoke to me that my, the God who saved you when you're 14 will chase you until the day you die. 
that he never gives up on you and he wants you back. And I began to suddenly wonder if that was true. And I came to a church on a Sunday evening, and there's some events that I won't get into that led up to that. But when I came to that church, Faith Fellowship, on a Sunday night in January of, uh, uh, of, of that year, I'm, I'm old, so I'll just say it was uh, 1974, and, uh, and I repented of my sins and asked God to take me back, and He graciously did that. But during that first week, I, I mean to tell you, I struggled. I was weak. Um, I had bombarded, I was bombarded with temptation from the tempter, uh, a guy that I hadn't spoken to in a long, long time for probably a couple years that he suddenly called me up when I was at work and said, hey, uh, maybe stopped into the place I was working and said, hey, after you get off work, why don't we go to Kansas together? They have an 18... 18- three, two beer, you could go over there and sit at the bar and drink. Let's go over and get drunk and pick up some girls. You know, let's go have some fun. And, and it was just the Sunday night before that I had made my commitment to Christ. And, and it was all that I could do to tell him, Jim, I can't go. Why can't you go? I, can't, I don't know. I can't go. I, could, I was too embarrassed to even tell him. I had no power, you see. And my sister and my pastor began to tell me and others tell me, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It'll give you, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, it'll give you power. What do you mean, power? What do you mean by that? See, I was totally clueless. Maybe some of you are that way as well. I was there. Clueless. Well, you need the power. Well, what was it like? Well, they tried to describe it. Can I tell you that is indescribable? Until you receive it, you won't understand the Holy Spirit, the baptism. And well, I tell you, all that week I prayed and I thought, God, if, and I said, you know, I don't understand it. They can't explain it. Uh, but if it's from you, God, I want it. On Wednesday night of that week, I went to a Bible study for the first time, first time in church in years, and, uh, and I, I went into the prayer room afterwards, and I, they laid hands on me and tried to pray, and I was so far, it felt weird. People don't touch me. I don't want anybody touching me. And uh, so Wednesday, all day at work, on Thursday and Friday, I kept praying, God, the very next time I go to church, the very next time I go to church, I want the baptism because God, and this is what I said, I don't understand it. They can't describe it, but if it's from you, like they said, I want, I want it. If it's from you, I want it. And as I began to pray that all day long at work, I mean, just uh, under my breath as I'm working around a lot of people, just under my breath all day long, just kind of whispering prayers and thinking prayers and asking God, praying. Friday night, Bible study at the church in the basement. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit right after that up in the prayer room. Nobody in the room but me. And then the baptizer in the Holy Spirit showed up, Jesus. And I was praying in that corner, asking God, telling God I loved him, and I didn't believe it up here. I wanted to believe it down here really bad. I wanted to believe I loved God, but I knew I didn't love him. But the more I said it, something, what are we saying today? The atmosphere changed. You, you could feel something change and shift in the atmosphere. And all of a sudden, I started feeling like, I do love God. I do love Him. I do love Him. See, I wasn't lying earlier. I was, didn't realize it, but I was confessing positively, outwardly by faith that I believed in here deep down. And all of a sudden, I felt a hot, warm, loving hand on my back, on my right shoulder. I'll never forget it. Now remember, no human being was in that room except me. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit came into me like a hot liquid love. And it hit my chest and it expanded throughout every part of my being. My hands were pressed together in prayer like this. And the power of God came shooting through my palms and it pushed them apart, literally the power that was invisible. And I tried to put it, it was like squishy, you know, hot liquid love just overflowing and uh, manifesting in and outside of my body. Tongues. Tongues is the first initial physical evidence and began to form in my mouth and then somebody opened the door and interrupted. And I prayed next week and I said, God, I want, I want the fullness of my prayer language and turned on the radio, Christian radio. It was just one of those old Christian radio stations that just had old-fashioned hymns on it, didn't have modern, thing. you know, that's all we had back then, AM you know, turned it on. That's all I had in my car. And I'd drive down the road singing this song, this hymn. And all of a sudden, my ears heard me singing that in tongues. See, Holy Spirit power. I can tell you, like an old song they sang back in the old, old days, long before my time in Pentecost. Pastor Curl will probably remember that. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. It's the Pentecostal blessing, and I know that it's real. See, you know that it's real. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the caffeinated brand of Christianity. It is the empowering Christianity. It is the Christianity that will give you a jolt. It'll give you a wake-up call. It'll keep you up praying and fasting. It'll keep you up demanding a miracle in the midst of, uh, of impossible things. Amen? It's just, that, it's just that's what it is. And we need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit uh, in today's time more than ever before. So what, uh, what is happening? You know, in Jesus, after, and we'll get to the day of Pentecost uh, in just a few minutes here, but Jesus' priority before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection was to, to remind the apostles and the followers that were still there that hadn't been scattered in fear because of his crucifixion uh, the, of the promise of the Spirit that was given by the Father. He had told them that earlier. And, 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 and there they were in, in Acts chapter 1, and, and they are just excited. Jesus has been there. He showed himself alive to many, to 400 at once, or 500 at once. And then he, before he ascended into heaven, the apostles were with Jesus, it says in verse number 6, and they kept asking him. You know, it's kind of like a kid, your kid's in the back seat when you're going on a trip. How many more miles? When are we going to get there? I have to go to the bathroom. You know, just on and on. And this was kind of the verbiage here is they kept on asking him. You know, kept asking him. <clears throat> the wrong question, by the way. The Lord... And, G and kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore your kingdom? Are you going to take your throne? And, and, and Jesus replied, listen to this, the Father alone has the authority set in those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So they were asking the wrong question, and this is what he rebutted with. But you, say you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive the power, and when is it going to happen? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, starting in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't understand it. They hadn't felt it. They didn't realize 
how much they needed the Holy Spirit. Just like some of you here and some of you watching, you don't realize how desperately you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus Christ in this day. The risen Christ tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they are endued with power from above. In other words, he was saying, don't leave Jerusalem without the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave home without it. You need it. You need it. You just don't know how much you need it. And what did he say? He said, he will give you a powerful anointing to preach the message of salvation to the world. He will give you what's lacking in your human power and energy to get the job done. Now, can I tell you with my story of my friend Jim Cox, who came and asked me if I wanted to go out drinking, go to Kansas and drinking and pick up girls, is I didn't have the power uh, to tell him no, and when he asked why, I told him no, but then I didn't have the power to tell him why. I was, I was uh, just like, I can't tell him this. He'll think I'm crazy. And, you know, I was worried about, you know, what's he going to think? See, listen, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't care what people thought. I, I, listen, I went out and I preached to every one of my friends, my drinking friends. I, I told those girls that I'd been kind of dating off, I told, you know, one of in the pull them up to Sunset Hill and the Methodist parking lot that overlooks the city. It's where we used to go to park. And, and uh, she sat on one side and sat on the other, and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I started telling her about Jesus. And the more I talked, she turned sideways, pushed up against the door to get as far away from me as she could. I, I'm telling the truth. After I got done, it was obvious she was, so we drove, and I dropped her off. We were done. See? I didn't reject them. They rejected me. They, they walked away. But I had the power. I had the want to. Not just power, but the want to, the desire, the hunger to tell everybody I knew about Jesus. That's what comes from the Holy Spirit. It was a transformation. Not only that, but when you receive the Holy Spirit baptism in, its, in the fullness that God intends for you to have, <clears throat> He will give you just supernatural power to say no to temptation. When you, when you buckled under, and you buckled under over and over, and you keep going, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. You know what? What happens is your weakest point in your life will become your strongest. That you look back and say, why was that so hard? Well, it was hard because you needed the fullness of the Holy Spirit to help you to be an, an overcomer, an overcomer. God has called his people to be overcomers, not victims of the enemy, but to have our foot on the neck of the enemy through Christ and the power of his resurrection, the power of his spirit. You know, we need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is promised by God. God keeps his word, by the way. God has the power and the resources to keep his word, everything that he promised. Luke chapter 24, 9 Jesus said, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city, in Jerusalem, until you are clothed, say clothed, I like the clothed with power from on high. You are putting on the power of God like a garment. It is His, but He is giving it to you, to you as a gift. The disciples were told about the promise from the Father. Jesus himself told them he was trustworthy. He's still trustworthy. He's alive today, by the way. And we are, all we have to do is ask. 
Somebody says, well, I don't understand why I haven't got the Holy Spirit. Well, have you asked for the Holy Spirit? Have you asked God? See, that was the first thing I learned is that if you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to ask for it. And I've heard so many people over the years say, well, if God wanted me to have it, he'd just give it to me. Well, you know, if he wanted to give you salvation, he would have just given it to you. You wouldn't have had to ask for it or repent, too. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, when I got sick with cancer, my wife was sick with cancer, we asked God for healing. Well, if God wants you to have it, he'll just give it to you. No, I asked, and I kept on asking. I knocked, and I kept on knocking. I was seeking and still seeking, and he gave it to me earnestly gave it. See, I don't give kids candy on Sunday morning after church unless they ask me. And they've learned to ask. Why did they learn to ask? Because they receive. Isn't that right? They, they ask, they receive. Unless I'm out of candy, which I'm rarely ever out of candy. I ran out of candy once at the old church then the, in my office and we were having board meetings. There was no candy and I went back, well, when the board went back to count money, they had gone into my office and raid my candy jars. And I went back there after church one time, and there's little post-it notes all over my candy jars with stickman diagrams. And it was supposed to be the board saying, you need to get candy, Pastor. It was Andy's drawings, by the way, but I think the others put them up. <laughs> it's like, we want candy. <laughs> so I thought, well, I better not run out of candy again. So uh, anyway, I try to take care of them. But ask for it. you got to ask for the Holy Spirit. And some people say, well, I'm afraid to ask because... Well, something weird might happen to me. Something, I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, listen, you can trust God. Now, Jesus said in verse 11 uh, of Luke chapter 11, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 24. I think I got the wrong one here. So, uh, Luke chapter, anyway, you fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Fathers, if your child or grandpas, they ask you for a piece of candy, do you give them a snake? Well, i got a couple of grandsons who would like that. They'd like getting a snake, but uh, when they ask for it, I give them what they ask for. Or, do you, or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? And Jesus said, of course not. It's ridiculous. And he says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, say how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we have to ask. He's not going to give you anything evil anything bad. So, and, and like my attitude was, I didn't understand the Holy Spirit until I received it, and then it's indescribable. I couldn't describe it to anybody else. But I thought, if it's from God, I want it. And if God is offering it, it means I need it. And I'll use it for His glory. So, I don't know what it is, but I want it if it's from God. And that needs to be our attitude. Coming to God when you are asking for the Holy Spirit, or anything else for that matter, but in today's context, the Holy Spirit the baptism, is you have to ask for it. You have to admit that you need it. And you press in and receive it. But you have to be hungry for it. Somebody say amen. The Holy Spirit, secondly, is powerful. The Holy Spirit is promised and He is powerful. I know not just from reading the Word anymore when I was young, but I know it from experience how powerful the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the Godhead. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8 to his disciples at the first part of that verse that you will receive what? Power. Power. You know, the whole world is hungry for power. Politicians are hungry for power. Why do you think there's so much fighting in Washington? 
is everybody wants the power. Everybody wants to call the shots. Why do you think so many churches across America and across the world have infighting and division? They're fighting over who's going to make the decisions, who's going to call the shots. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's in politics or in church. Somebody say amen or business. But the Holy Spirit is power. He is the one who has authority. He is the authority. And He has power that He wants to give to us. Not so that we can manipulate or dominate other people, but so that we can serve other people. So that we have the power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save people, set them free from their sins, deliver them from demonic oppression, and fill them with the Holy Spirit's power so that they can be free and liberated. You will receive power. The apostles and the loyal followers of Christ in his day had been dealt an incredible death blow, as we know. They had watched their Lord Jesus, uh, who had preached and taught, who had performed miracles, signs and wonders, even raised the dead to life. They saw him in a moment in their, when their aspirations were at their highest, that he's going to take the throne and rule from his father David's throne in Jerusalem, cast the Romans out. But they'd been dealt a death blow because on that night he was betrayed, arrested, rejected by the religious leaders, put on trial at a kangaroo court, convicted and sentenced to death. He was then beaten and cruelly tortured by sadistic guards who beat and tortured him just for the fun of it. And then he died on a Roman cross after being nailed to that cross, buried, and resurrected the third day. The good news is the resurrection, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. But here they were weak. They were fearful. They were confused. Yeah, the Lord had been raised. He had proven himself alive, but they didn't understand what they, they didn't know what they didn't know, somebody might say. And they were huddled together in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father, not knowing what it possibly could be. But Jesus told them to wait, so they were going to wait. That's a good idea, by the way. Is when you are confused, you don't know what to do, you don't know which way to turn, you don't know what your answer is to your problem yet, but if God tells you to wait, it's a good thing just to wait. Now, waiting isn't any fun. How many like waiting in line? Okay. How many like waiting in line in a buffet line when you're hungry? You want to tell people, hurry, come on, hurry up, hurry up, get through the line. And some are really pokey. You don't like waiting in, in, in the office, waiting for your, to see your doctor, do you? I hate that. I just hate that. I hate waiting for the dentist because I got time to think about what he might do to me. But waiting's no fun. But they were told to wait. And waiting was for their good, wasn't it? Wait for their good. In Acts chapter 2, 1 verse 4 records that day on the day of Pentecost when they were waiting. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Their numbers had diminished. But despise not the day of small beginnings. Because verse 2 says suddenly. And I love that word, suddenly. I love that word immediately in the Scriptures because it means the dynamic is about to change, the atmosphere is going to shift, and something supernatural is going to happen. Suddenly, started with a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. I, I like to think of it as a supernatural earthquake. 
or the power of the Holy Spirit just blowing in like a wind. In verse number 3, it says, Then what looked like they heard, and now they see, flaming tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them came down. There's the supernatural at work here. And I tell you, the supernatural is still at work today. God is still working in and through his church, his wonders to, do, to perform. Verse number four says, everyone, say everyone. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them ability or the unction. And something supernatural happened. They hadn't expected Listen, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had no idea what to expect. But when it happened, it was so obvious that this is God. I, I, my fears were overtaken, were pushed out of me. My courage filled my heart. Faith filled my heart. Love, most of all, filled my heart. Me, who didn't even understand the word love, didn't understand the meaning of it. Suddenly, I was filled with so much love that was not of me. That people before that I really didn't care a, a bit about, suddenly I had compassion and I cared about them and I cared about their soul. And I wanted to tell them about what God did for me. That came just like that. The power of the Holy Spirit that changed the atmosphere, changed the inside of me, changed me. And I think that I, I was hearing somebody uh, do an expository message on this online the other day. And it was quite interesting when he talked about the wind, the sound from heaven. They heard the sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. They heard it, and literally, I think it shook the place where they were meeting, where they were praying. And he talked about this, about wind, uh, of course, in the Hebrew, um, and uh, it, it can be described or interpreted as a breath. And the breath of God like the breath of God, then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God breathed into a non-living corpse that he had created out of the dust of the earth, a man that he called Adam, and he breathed into his nostrils, the word says, the breath of life. And the same is true here. What was God doing when he sent the Holy Spirit and the mighty wind came? He was breathing life into the dead church. He was breathing power into the powerless his strength is made perfect in our weakness, Paul tells the Corinthians. He delights in showing himself strong on behalf of those who love him, who are weak. He breathed into that man, Adam, and made uh, him a living, a living being. And he breathes into the church. And when I say, listen, the church, I'm not talking about the institutional church. I'm talking about the blood-washed people who have turned to him for salvation, who belong to him, who have been born again. God wants to breathe into your soul his living spirit and give resurrection power to you and the power to witness for him. The 120 people that were dead, so to speak, in that prayer room, that day in that upper room, were given the life of God as he breathed into their souls, bringing resurrection of life and spirit uh, to work in and through them. There was, secondly, they saw tongues of fire. The fire is likened unto that fire back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses, 
on the backside of the desert, up watching his father-in-law's sheep, enjoying the nice, peaceful life, a safe life away from Egypt, who sought after him to bring him to justice for the murder that he had committed on the Egyptian. And he was up there, and it says that he turned aside because he saw a sight that looked unbelievable. He saw a bush that was burning but was not consumed. It wasn't turning to ash, but the bush was living. And it says that he turned aside to see that sight. And when he came near, he heard the voice of God cry out from that bush that burned. And he says, Moses, take your sandals off your feet, for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Where the presence of the Lord is, it is holy. And the fire of God, listen to me, represents that holiness. It is a fire that will burn inside of you and it will destroy the flesh that you are held captive to, but it will cleanse and purify you to do the work of God. The fire of God, the cleansing and purging. Fire in the natural can be good if it's harnessed in the right way, but it can be destructive if it's the wrong way. But the fire of God is always good. The fire is like that of the three Hebrew children who were run afoul of the law of a tyrant, a king. And they were commanded to be thrown into a fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter than it normally is. And as they are cast in, bound into that furnace, the news came back to the king. Didn't we just throw three men in there? Are you getting this, three men? And he said, well, yeah, three men. Those Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, take a look, king, there's four. And there's one in there with him, and he's like to the Son of God. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned into good. The only thing burned on those boys was their bonds. The power and the fire of God will free you from your bonds. It will cleanse you and purify you and prepare you for the work that God has called you to. And I said, yes, called you to. Maybe not ministry as a vocation like a pastor and evangelist, but he has called you to do the work of God in the power of God, being his witness with your friends, your neighbors, your family, and anyone else that God points out to you, even total strangers. Somebody say amen. Listen, uh, it brings cleansing and purging. The fire that uh, changed their lives changes our lives. After some time up in the upper room, it would have been nice when you're in a Pentecostal prayer meeting, it feels so good, it is so powerful, so unifying that I don't, they felt the urgency by the Holy Spirit to leave the prayer room. And if it was me, it's like, I want to stay here and just love God, you know. But God had a work for them to do. God didn't call us to just enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. He called us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go outside the walls of the church and proclaim the message of salvation to the lost and the dying. And so the 120 up in that upper room, they made their way down from the upper room and uh, that little band of faithful believers migrated into the courts of the temple and they were speaking in tongues, and everybody from all over the world was there for the feast days in Jerusalem, and they heard them speaking in tongues, but the remarkable thing they said was that they're speaking of the wonderful deeds of God in our own language. We understand what they're saying. They knew they were speaking in tongues, but they could hear them. They understood what they were saying. This is the, say supernatural, Listen, don't be afraid of the supernatural when it comes from God, the Creator God. Now, the enemy is supernatural too, but his, his is evil. But God is powerful. 
And, and the power of the Holy Spirit is doing this work. And they heard them glorifying of the wonderful deeds of God. Listen, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you will want to, both in your prayer language, but in the language of your birth, will love to just praise the wonderful deeds of God. It gives you a love for God. It gives you the power of God to live for Him, to testify about Him. But it gives you this incredible love of God, this connection with Him that maybe you haven't enjoyed before. My third point is the Holy Spirit gives personal power. It's not just power, but personal power. And that's what we're talking about here today too. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you, say you, will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in your hometown, in your area, your geographical area, your state, your nation, and the world. Peter, example of this, who cowered the night Christ was arrested and tried, denied him three times uh, to a servant girl as he's standing around a bonfire. Uh, Christ is being tried in that kangaroo court. Now, instead of being a coward, Peter is as bold as a lion. And when the people who are hearing all these 120 speak in tongues of the wonderful deeds of God and the people were having different opinions about what's causing this, some said that they were drunk, they were full of wine, and, and Peter said, no, he stood up on his preaching box, got his podium. I don't think he had a podium, but the Holy Spirit gave him the words to preach a message that he had not written. That's supernatural power. That's anointing. And he preached a message. He said, they're not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's the third hour, but this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet when he said that on the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and my sons and daughters will prophesy. And he goes on and he begins to preach from there about this power that you see demonstrated in these people, these human beings, is the power of God and it's from the Holy Spirit and this is the power of Christ who you crucified. But God raised from the dead. Peter had a powerful Pentecostal message filled with power from God, but it was personal power and courage that he spoke up with. He was a different person after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, Peter, who couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth, suddenly proclaimed the message of salvation, the first sermon preached about the gospel of Christ in the history of the church. 3,000 people, men, got saved that day and said, I want to get saved. When Peter said, they said, what should we do? When they came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is also supernatural power of God, to convict us and tell us that we need forgiveness, that our sins are an affront to God, that that guilt and shame that we feel is the Holy Spirit telling us you need to turn to God and he will cleanse you. And they cried out, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit as well. That message hasn't changed over the 2,000 plus years. That message is still as powerful as it was on the day of Pentecost because the Holy Spirit has not been diminished in His power and His anointing. We as individuals need the Holy Spirit actively involved in our daily lives. We need personal power every day that we live. We need Him in our homes and we need Him, God bless each of you, we need them in our marriages. We need them in our workplaces. We need them in our schools. We need them in our government. God, help us. We need the Holy Spirit in our government. We need His influence and His power to live godly lives that demonstrate the power and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. So the Holy Spirit 
has been described in many ways. He's like a breath that blows away the dust and makes everything clean. He's like refreshing cool water to a parched throat. He's like the cleansing bush fire that burns away the thick undergrowth so that something new can rise out of the ashes. He's like a potter who starts with an odd-shaped lump, like me, and shapes it into something beautiful, like me. He's like a renovator, a remodeler, who uses what is already there and strengthens, refreshes, and revitalizes what's there. He's like a loving spouse whispering into the ear reassurances of love and support during a hard time. He's like a parent guiding and helping a confused child. He's like a tour guide who points us in the right direction to see the things that we would otherwise miss. He's that gentle tap on our shoulders, that whisper in our heart, the gentle, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that helps us realize that, hey, that's me that needs a new beginning and a new direction. He's like the fear shaking that wakes us up, reminds us that there is more to life than just earning money, relentlessly pushing ourselves until we're tired and exhausted, stressed and depressed. Listen, that's what the Holy Spirit does and more. He revitalizes, He renews, He empowers, He creates, He reminds, He guides, He comforts the church, those in the church and those whom he touches outside the church. And we, every single one of us here in this building and those watching online, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God the way God intended us to do. As a victor, as an overcomer, uh, as the people of God the way God intended. 